Oh boy, are you guys ready for this episode? This is a fun one. Coming up, I am joined by Gershom Reese Wetzel. He is the writer and director of an incredible fan film called Infiltrator. Um, as many of you know, one of my goals in life as a diehard Terminator fan is not necessarily to uh, film it, but to write my own fan screenplay based on my own original idea. So I wanted to get Gershom on here because he did that. He wrote and directed his own thing, his passion project, and it became Infiltrator. We go in depth on behind the scenes, the inspiration for it, the filming process, everything. If you guys haven't watched the short, go check it out on YouTube. I'm going to have all the information in the bio and then come back. You'll have much more of an appreciation for what he talks about. Afterwards, we go crazy just talking about anything and everything Terminator and Gershom will definitely be back on the podcast because we just didn't have enough time. Um, there's so much more that we can talk about. So thank you, man, for coming on. Everybody enjoy this episode. It's so much fun. After these sponsors, Gershom Reese Wetzel. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. Five, four, three, two. One. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Terminator 101. I'm Eddie Green, and on the other end of the line, I'm joined by Gershom Reese Wetzel. I think I said that right. I hope I said that right. Um, and if you don't know about this fan film that he wrote and directed called Infiltrator, you are doing yourself a disservice. You have to check it out. I'll have all the information linked in the bio to this so you guys can click it and, and be sent right over there. But um, he is a, I mean, he is definitely a talent to watch out for when it comes to just filmmaking because, um, and we're going to get into that because I'm not very familiar with his background, but um, based off of what I saw with Infiltrator, I'm very impressed. And clearly so are a lot of other people because this thing has, you know, thousands upon thousands of, so um, Terminator 101 is definitely honored to have uh, Gershom on here. So how are you doing, man? I'm, I'm good, man. It's, uh, it's actually Gershom. Sorry. I, I think I might have been unclear earlier on. But um, yeah, I'm, man, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Eddie, thank you so much for having me on the show. No problem. All right. Gershom. Gershom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there we go. Um, do people have a lot of trouble saying your name? You know, it does happen. It does happen a lot. I, I get a lot of all, all kinds of, uh, uh, just a wide range of, wait, Herschel? What? You know, I mean, just a lot of, a lot of that. It's a funny thing, real quick. Uh, I actually picked my middle name, Reese, uh, after Kyle Reese from The Terminator, uh, because I thought it would just be an easier thing, partly because I thought it would be an easier thing, and partly because my grandfather asked me, he said, why, why Reese? I said, well, it's a good guy in The Terminator, and he saves the girl. So, you know, um, but yeah, so I I sometimes go uh, by Reese if that's if that's easier. Yeah, I, I was actually thinking about uh, doing that, just being like, "Hey, how's it going, Reese?" But um, <laughs> that is that is interesting that you uh, that you made that connection. Like, what was your original middle name? I didn't have one. Oh, you didn't have one? Mm-mm. No, my my uh, my dad, my my uh, grandfather, my brother, everybody. You know, and I'm sitting here going, "Hey, Dad, why don't I have one?" He's like, "I don't know. We just didn't give you one," and so. When uh, when time came, the opportunity came. I was like, "Hey, I got this!" So <laughs> nice, I love it. Sick. All right. So for everybody listening, um, this is usually how we start, and then it just goes from there. How did 
this project become something that you were so passionate about and then you made it and then you put it out there? How, like what got you to that point? Okay. Well, um, probably going to draw a lot of heat for this, but, uh, you know, I, ever since Terminator 2, um, there was always this idea for me of what needs to happen next. I had this because I read the novel before I saw the movie, believe it or not, like a whole month before I was at, I was in New Mexico and I picked up, picked it up at a bookstore and I was like, yes. So I knew what the movie was uh, going into it from the book. And then there was a little bit of disappointment because I was like, Oh, there's stuff in the book. That's not in the movie, you know, even in a novel adaptation of a film uh, there were, there were some things in the early chapters that they, that they touched on but we didn't actually get to see. And so, which includes Kyle Reese being sent back and um, includes, includes uh, uh, John Connor going into a vault filled with different types of Terminators. And he walks to the row that has the, the model 101 on it and he picks Uncle Bob off the rack. Okay. So I was looking forward to seeing these things because it's all future. It's all, you know, it's all that 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 Skynet tech that's supposed I, I would assume would be completely alien to us, you know. Yeah. Um, so when the when the film happened and they didn't do that, and then the special edition happened, and it wasn't part of that either because it was just it was cut before they even started shooting, um, as, as I understand at least. Uh, it was just for me. I'm sitting there going, you know, that's something people need to see because it was it was in the in the adaptation by. Um, I think it's Randall Frakes uh, in his adaptation. It was just such a vivid thing for me. You know, the, the things that they, that they talk about and, and the narration and all of that. So um, when, when I finally saw the subsequent non James Cameron sequels, uh, rise of the machines and salvation and Genesis, there was always this part of me that's going, it feels like something very integral is missing to the story. Okay. Um, I remember in with with uh, Rise of the Machines in particular, the moment they showed us the brand new design for the aerial hunter killer. All right, um, I had this. It was like breaking the fourth wall. It was like going to Deadpool for a moment because it was like there was this 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 place where I stepped out of the film and went, "Well, it's cool, but I don't fear it like I fear the original design." And then you exactly. know exactly. And then the movie's back in, you know, and I'm like, and it's got this big red thing across it, you know, uh, kind of an eye. The spotlights were so much more oppressive, you know, just the searchlights and the howling wind, the noise of its turbines. And it's just this, it's this looming shadow against the darkness that has this kind of gleam to it, you know, this bug-like gleam to it. And so I always, when I saw the first two films, I always had this impression of something dominating humanity whether it was the aerial ones or the tanks you know um something completely dominating humanity and you never really it never really felt like you got a clear look at it and in terminator 3 they they give you some nice eye candy you know and then they actually go to an aerial shot where you're looking down on several of them and i just felt like that was a wrong perspective for humanity to have the first two movies stay very well grounded in human perspective um, you know, we are looking up at those things. They have the they have the high ground, Anakin. You know, yeah. Um, and so, so there was this there was just this very real uh, um, uh, awareness for me. I'm like, I'm not afraid of those. They're cool. I'm not knocking the design. 
Okay. But they weren't properly applied in the film. And I had the same issue with, with the Hunter Killers and the, and the Terminator tech in, in Salvation, you know, um, and, then, and then even more so when they started really getting into the time travel and stuff like that, the issues like that in Genesis. I'm just going, what is, this, is, this is not the story. Touching on some of the stuff you, you, you brought up there, it's, it's fascinating that you brought up that, that point, and I never actually really thought about it, which is why I love talking to other people because they just you know, bring to your attention stuff that you might have missed. And I never thought yes. about the idea of the, um, the, 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 the kind of difference between Terminator 1 and 2 versus, we'll say, T3 and, and your assessment of how on the Cameron films were we're with the humans and we really never actually go up into the sky. I mean, it's a small point, but I think it's actually a really important point. Like you mentioned. Um, so yeah, like, and, and when you brought up T3, I was like reimagining and, and reliving that opening scene where, yeah, it's, it's, it's a huge aerial shot. And then um, yeah, it, it, it really does take away the menace of it. And, and that's, subtle stuff that you know even someone like me didn't pick up on so i mean i applaud you for that 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 you thank you that you found that because i mean i now that i you know hear that and 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 thinking about that it's like wow Mm -hmm. absolutely so you you, you, when did you start when did when did your idea for your film Mm. start brewing in your head and, and when did you actually like put it down on paper okay uh, so Terminator Genesis comes out in 2015 and I go see it cause I'm like, yes, I've got to go see the new Terminator movie. And I saw some things in the trailer that I was like, oh my gosh, are we finally going to get to see, you know, for instance, the, the original Terminator get sent back to 1984. Yes. I want that. Okay. Um, so I get into this movie and to be honest with you, I really felt like the first five minutes of that movie, first five or 10 minutes should have been stretched into the telling of the entire movie. That was, that was the sweet spot for me. That was the zone. I want, I wanted 2029. I wanted Skynet's forces and John Connor's resistance to go at it for two hours and culminate in the, at least the apparent defeat of Skynet and uh, the sending back of the four time travelers that we already know. Okay, my theory was close the loop. Okay, so when I left the theater, I was just like, "What? I, I'm not like I know what I saw." And and Arnold, God bless him, is awesome because he gets you to emote at just the right moment, like you know, goodbye, my Sarah, or whatever it was that he said. And I'm sitting here tearing up, and I'm like, I I honestly, no offense to anybody in this film, but I honestly don't like this film, and it's still making me feel something for it. So I thought that was fantastic. Okay, the the his his charisma and his power as an actor and and to bridge that gap from from, you know, man to machine and and all that. He's got it. All right. But I really felt like the story overall um, was was kind of kind of like desecrating a work of art, really. Okay, Uh, just be plainly honest. I really felt like like Terminator Genesis should have just been. the 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 first five minutes that future war sequence i wanted that for two hours so that's what i went out and wrote i left the theater and sat down for about the next 10 days and wrote the story that from the time that i read terminator 2 
um, and, and check out the illustrated screenplay with the Centurions and the Silverfish and all those sequences that never made it into the movie, uh, wrote that story. Okay, so uh, 10 days later, I've got, I've got a 110-page script, I think. Wow. And it's, it's still rough, but I've got, this, I've got this script. And I send it to my friend John Mark, I mentioned before. He, he, did, the, he did the score uh, for, uh, for Infiltrator. I sent it to him. And I said, um, I said, hey, man, whenever you get to this, just give it a read. My usual expectation for when I send something out like that is um, I'm probably going to hear from him in about six months. And it'd be like, hey, I'm reading your script. It's awesome. And I'm going to go, really, how far are you into it? And they're going to go, how about page five? <laughs> so now I'm sitting there going, all right, you're going to get back to me like after the kids you don't have have graduated from college. Yeah. All right. Good. So there's, there's my expectation level. All right. I really don't think I'm going to get a response from him at all. Okay. So three days later, he gets, uh, I get a phone call and John Mark goes, we're doing this. And there's crickets from me for a minute while I try to process what he's saying. I'm like, help me out. Speaking English, talking on the phone. What are we doing? He said, I read your script. I said, oh, good. How far did you get into it? He says, no, I read your script. I said, that's 110 pages. And I sent it to you three days ago. He says, I know. I read your script. I'm like, okay, I'm getting it now. <laughs> you, read my, you read my script? Yeah. He said, it was a page turner. I knew the outcome. Because I know how you think. He says, I knew the outcome. And you had me guessing the entire way. I said, whoa. So it was like a page turner. He said, yeah, it was a page turner. So that was, that was immediately like a very good, you know, just felt good you know it felt good to say hey you know what i, I kind of I, I based it very heavily on existing material so heavily you know there's not a whole lot to be honest with you there's not a whole lot of deviation and if i if i gave you a few particulars you'd probably go oh yeah i know how that goes all right but it it was very validating to say you told a compelling story even though i knew where we were going and and i i think there's some um I think there's some merit to that kind of thing. Uh, if you saw Rogue One, um, of the new Disney Star Wars movies, I have to say it's probably my favorite. Because just like, just like my Terminator script, we know the outcome. We know where this is going. And they managed to, for me at least, they managed to keep me entertained and guessing the entire time until we finally got there. You know, And there was a, there was a moment in that movie also where they, they managed to... to um, iron out what, what's kind of been a plot hole for Star Wars fans for a long time. They're like, why does the Death Star even have like an off button? You know, why does it even have a, a thermal exhaust port weak spot? Right. And so in the, in the course of the film, they basically tell us exactly why. And you're sitting there going, Oh my gosh, that's, that's great. That's a great retcon on, uh, on the existing story. And it, it fits now. It makes sense. You know, um, but then they get, they get us to the end, and I'm sitting there going, that's why I fear Darth Vader. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Like, they reached into our collective memory from, like, 1977 and showed it to us. And it was nothing short of amazingly breathtaking, you know? Like, I'm sitting there just going, what did I just see? I've got to go see that again, you know? The, just for the Darth Vader part, right? I mean, the dad joke aside. <laughs> for the Darth Vader, 
for the Darth Vader part at the end of the film. I'm just like, oh my God, that's why this guy has scared me since I was five, you know, or the first time I saw Star Wars. This is why, you know? So I, I, I hear sometimes the, the, the objection to quote unquote closing the loop in Terminator. And a lot of times they say stuff like, well, we just don't want to follow the blueprint because that'd be too predictable. All right. I say, well, okay, but Rogue One and uh, also the NFL. I mean, what's more uh, predictable than watching two teams of millionaires chase an oblong ball? Right. But people turn out and millionaires bank and the game goes on. Right. Just because you've shown me two thirds of a wheel doesn't mean that I'm going to be uh, bummed out by the fact that the rest of the wheel is what a wheel is. I want to see it roll. Interesting. You know? Wow, man. So, um, yeah, like, yeah, your your film definitely. Uh, um, I I feel like what what was it always written in um, uh, four parts? Like, was that always the like? Because that's how it was originally released, wasn't it? Like, kind of part by part. Well, well, what we ended up doing, okay, so John Mark and I start talking about doing the actual feature film. I, I titled it Skynet, my, my Terminator 3. Titled it Skynet. We start talking logistics, and I said, you know, I, I said, what do you, how, how are we going to fund this? And he goes, well, we could crowdfund, you know, because like Indiegogo and Kickstarter and all that stuff's kind of a thing. And I said, okay, cool, but, you know, here's a problem. I'm, I'm infinitely Googleable. <laughs> I mean, you need my first and middle name combination and it pulls my whole life. Right. So I said, I don't have a film credit to my name and neither do you. I said, so let's just, uh, let's do a 20 page script. We'll do, we'll do Terminator so that, um, we know that we can source the costumes and the, the weapons and, you know, that we can, uh, mimic the heads up display and, and God, let's see if we can get like a, an aerial hunter killer or even a ground hunter killer or something like that in there. You know, um, let's see if we can let's see if we can do some of the things that we would have to be able to deliver on if we did a feature film. And he goes, OK, good idea. So I write this 20 page script, Infiltrator, and I believe originally it was not broken up into parts it was just a one page or just a one 20 page thing and originally actually the first sequence of it uh i think contact um the the very first segment that we that we go into there uh was supposed to be entirely from the the female terminator's perspective so we were going to spend the first five minutes of the thing in her heads up display um but through the course of developing it producing it uh, my my uh, director of photography at the time uh, was like, I don't know that that's going to fly. And so eventually I was like, oh, all right, let's, we'll try it your way and see what happens. But um, so I, I get the script. We pitch it out to a couple of, couple of friends that had done some, some extra acting in Queen of the South out here in Dallas. And um, they pitch it to a couple of their friends. And before I know it, I've got 25 people stepped across the line wow. for my cat. And I'm like, oh, God, I never expected this to happen. <laughs> okay, guys, we have to have kind of like a come to Jesus thing here real quick because I don't have any money, A. B, if you get the part that you're auditioning for, I have $150 worth of army surplus I need you to buy. 
Okay, not scamming you. You're not giving me money to go get for you. You go. I've got the retailer links. You buy it. It comes to your house. You wear it. And the only caveat that I have, the only the only consolation prize that I have is you can keep it and you can wear it to Comic Con. <laughs> you know. And I'm like sitting there waiting for you know. And there's crickets. And I'm sitting there going, shoot, they're gonna walk. I'm just. I had 25 people. I'm about to lose 25 people. And some someone from the back of the room finally just goes, hey, what's the damn list already? And I'm like, oh, we're doing this. And they're like, yeah. I'm like, okay, all right, all right, all right. I'm sorry. I just never expected to actually do this. But here we go. So I, I, send, them this, I send them the links. And most of them within about an hour, maybe two hours of getting notification that they got their parts are sending me messages back saying, hey, I just ordered all my stuff. Wow, man. Which blew me away because if you've ever, I mean, you know, if you remember maybe asking parents for money for like band or, or for for football practice, you know, for gear, for equipment or something like that. It's always like, oh, that's so expensive. That's where I was. That's what I was kind of braced for. I was like going, oh, man, I'm about to ask for asking them to drop money on this. And uh, it's going to be it's going to be a huge step backwards. But it turned out to be an incredible leap forward. Um and we we got our first uh, our first location at Six Flags Mall, which which does not exist anymore. <laughs> um, and then we ended up using we ended up using some uh, locations up in Bell's, Texas, and Sherman, Texas, which is um, north of north of Dallas. Um, but just man, the whole thing, I I got to brag on my on my cast and on my crew because they were just just phenomenal people, um, phenomenal human beings great work ethics, great talent, you know, and it was just, um, most of my production crew in particular, uh, had never done film before. They brought their work ethic to the table and that was it. And just completely ruled on work ethic. It was amazing. You know, um, Austin Woodard and John Mark and, and Austin's wife, Amber, they, I mean, we had production meetings and they planned everything down to the nth degree, you know, well, what, what, if, what about this and what about that? And it looks like we're going to need this here, here, here. And so we were able with, with them. And then we brought Paul Kepner on who did our, um, the, the director of photography and, and primary camera for, uh, for episodes two, three, and four. Um, once we got him in there and then we brought a couple of cameramen in, um, the whole thing just really gelled. Our makeup artist showed up, got everybody into makeup and costume. And we were, we were at a point where we were able to say, okay, everybody's ready. And we walked into the room and turned on the lights and we were shooting the rest of the day. I mean, each weekend, you know, eight pages a weekend, you know, and, and I say, pay you do the math on that. And you go, well, that means 24 at least plus the stuff you've already shot. How did your 20? Okay. So the 20 page script ended up growing into a 30 page script. Um, we ran into a couple of, couple of hiccups early on that, that necessity like i said six flags mall didn't exist anymore um at, at about our third week of production the security guy comes in and he goes he goes i'm sorry but you guys can't be here and we're like well we were told he's in no, 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 the property sold i'm sorry i have to kick you out Damn. and i i say okay well um all right it's gonna take us a couple hours, as you can see, we have a lot of gear and we've dressed this room. So we got to take everything down. It's going to take us some time. He goes, no problem. So he gets on his golf cart and rolls away. 
And I turn around and I go, get back there and shoot everything on page two, or we have to start completely over now. And we, it was the most frantic 45 minutes of, of film that we shot. We weren't even, we weren't even doing a slate, you know, there was just, it was just go. I mean, we were snapping fingers for a, you know, as, as our marker, um, for the, for the end. And it was just like, go, go. Okay. That was good again, but faster. Go, go, go. And it's, it's the very tail end of, of part one where, uh, uh, John Mark comes in and goes, okay, you know, police these bodies, somebody get me the registry, all that, that sequence right there after, after uh, the gunfire, all of that is, was the last 45 minutes that we had at Six Flags Mall. And then as soon as we got it, we, we tore everything down, struck it and, and rolled out. And then we had about a four month period in there where we're sitting there just going, all right, there's got to be a way to fix this because I want to keep the essence of the story, but I have to sacrifice the locations. I have to sacrifice the rooms and, you know, ended up being a rewrite where we kind of switched some characters out and, and different things like that. But it just, what, what I learned from that was that every one of our obstacles turned into opportunities for us because the thing just, the, the, the story kept expanding and, and the production kept getting bigger. And we eventually got a grain silo up in, in Sherman that was just, I mean, it looked like the, the human Warren from, from T1, you know? Um, so it just, it was one of those things that really, I, gosh, I can't tell you, Eddie, I learned so many lessons um, in, in this, in the, in the whole experience of it. You just letting the people that are good at what they do be good at what they do and not having to worry about wearing that hat, you know, um, just amazing what could happen. And then we get a phone call and Hey, you know, from Austin he says, Hey, I know a guy who's got, who's got some army trucks out at a motor pool over, you know, in town. And he, they said, it's okay if we want to shoot out there because we can actually load up one of their, one of their convoy trucks, you know, and, and put our guys on it and roll with one, you know, and things I'm going, Oh my gosh, I didn't have that ending before. Like my ending was like Jeeps. Do we know anybody with a Jeep? You know? <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I mean, it just, it just kept getting, it just kept growing. So damn dude. Like I, this is the stuff I love hearing because it's like, you know, it's very reminiscent of what I imagine that first Terminator film would have been like for Cameron, you know, people coming up right. and being like, you know, what are you doing here? Like you, you, you can't be here. And you know, that whole gorilla right. filmmaking style. And, yes. Yes. And, um, what is like, like, what is the plan for uh, Infiltrator? Is it just to have it like live on YouTube or do you have more plans for it after or what? You know, um, that's, that's a, that's a tough one because we, we clearly can't monetize it in any way. So, I mean, you know, there's, there's been a couple of people who said, Hey, well, you know, you need to put it in this, in this, you know, film festival or this film race or this film, you know, you need to get it out there into these things. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, but we can't make money on this. This is not, it's not ours as much as it's something that I wrote, um, dreamed up based on, you know, uh, Mr. Cameron's work. There's nothing I can do to, to put money in my pocket based on this, uh, uh, film, you know? So uh, there's been the question, you know, are you, are you going to do a sequel? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, Hey, anybody affiliated with, uh, Lightstorm. If you guys want to give us permission, yes, we would definitely be happy to continue. <laughs> but, um, but otherwise, uh, our our pursuits with 
with uh, Infiltrator and uh, with my Skynet script, those are those are pretty much shelved indefinitely. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm I'm not really sure what would um, what would qualify as as a good reason to, to bring those. Unfortunately, you know, to to bring those off the shelf, um, it's it's really almost it's almost something that that kind of lives in in. Uh, in my mind and on my hard drive as a, as a, a personal catharsis, you know, <laughs> I've, I've set the record straight for myself and that's probably about as far as I could take it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not officially, uh, part of the film industry in, in the sense of, of having, um, you know, big name Hollywood connections. I've had the, I've had the very fortunate opportunity of meeting, uh, Michael Bean, uh, twice, you know, the first time I got to meet him and his wife and the second time I, I brought my kids and, and I got to sit in his lap and do a photo op with him. He's just, he's absolutely fantastic. And uh, I got to meet um, uh, Lance Henriksen uh, a couple of years ago also. And I, I brought a, a uh, chestburster alien that I, that I sculpted and casted and molded in latex. And it, he had some really cool complimentary things to say about that. You know, just, just very encouraging. Both of them were very supportive guys. Um, just incredible. Uh, incredible talents and gentlemen. Um, but uh, as far as, you know, I, I don't, I'm not an agent represented person. Uh, I don't, I don't have, I don't know those, those networks and that, that gateway and all that stuff. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm the, I'm the guy who climbed, who climbed over the back fence <laughs> and snuck through a, a, a weak link in the chain, you know, in the, in the chain link fence and that's that's where I am. That's how that's how we that's how we got here. We're you know very much you say the term guerrilla filmmaking. That is absolutely true. Um, not not unlike uh, when when uh, the Terminator punches punches out the window in the in the station wagon in the first film. You know, I heard that was a guerrilla film shot. They didn't have a permit. Yeah, he had he had like a change of clothes in the car. You know, and he just walks up and does it, and he's like, okay, let's get the hell out of here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so. We, we, we had a, we had some, some small experiences with that, you know, as far as, as far as being kicked out of the mall and, and a couple of, a couple of things that way. But, uh, but that's where, that's where we are. We're very much, we're very much in the starting out phases of things and, and um, doing what we can uh, in, in other venues. We've done a music video uh, for a band out of Denton um, called uh, Further North. And the song is, is called Live to Love. That was that was again another just fun shoot, um, a dog camera commercial. Uh, it's a, they do a mobile app and you can like shoot a treat to your pet. It's called Sky Me, um, which is, every time I say Sky Me, I think Skynet. Skynet dog treat launcher. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but then uh, but then everything else that we're doing right now is just is has been writing script and trying to find that thing that's that's. Um, it's got that same core hook to it that, that I, that draws me to, you know, the Terminator T2 aliens, the abyss, you know, all, I'm, James Cameron's hand down. He's my, he's my favorite filmmaker. Um, he's always doing something cutting edge. He's always doing something that's futuristic, you know, but, but it also has a very, um, a very core message to humanity, you know? Um, I, I, I did love that about Avatar as much as it's, it's got so much, um, tech in it. And as much as the film itself is, is a revolution in filmmaking, 
you know, it's got this very, uh, this very spiritual message to it, you know, um, about what are we doing with, I mean, we can't go to Pandora, but what are we doing on this planet? You know, how are we connecting? How are we taking care of it and each other? You know, um, so I, I have, have very deep appreciation for the kind of stories that he, that he tells, um, because they're always asking questions that make us, uh, take, take a personal inventory, you know, and, uh, and take stock of, of where we're going as, uh, you know, as a species, as a culture, um, Sorry, like I completely lost the question. Was are we? Were we? Uh, it was it basically just kind of what, what's what's next for Texan projects? I mean, we're yeah. I mean, it's just mostly just writing, and and trying to figure out the thing that sticks for us. You know, transitioning into Terminator Six, Phoenix, Dark Fate. Um, yeah, we got to talk about like like we it, it broke today. We got to talk about this because this is something that uh, I did not think was even gonna happen and it's still not like officially confirmed but um if it is confirmed eventually um 100 on board uh imdb and also wikipedia but i mean both of those you can look at with like very far distance and be like okay (laughs) all right um but for some reason both of those uh brought up to our attention, the fact that Brad Fidel is credited now as the composer for Terminator 6. And I, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about this because I've talked about this. And um, again, if it, is, if it is true, you know, fuck mm-hmm. yes. Great. Awesome. <laughs> I am on board. Right. I, have my, I have my personal um, uh, replacements that I would pick for Brad Fidel, but if it right. if it turns out he wants to come back, let the guy come back. But it's so it's so strange that nothing was actually announced. It's just all of a sudden IMDb is showing that it's Brad Fidel. Is that like an auto generated thing? Like oh shit, we need to we, we we need to put in someone for this music. It's incomplete right, right. now. Right. What do you think about this? Because it's so like it's been bugging me. I've been thinking about this ever since. Um, who brought it to my attention? I think it was Morgana who's uh. Do you know her? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes. We've, we've talked a few times. Yeah. She. Uh, yeah. She tagged me in something, and then um, I think that you brought it to the attention of the Terminator fans, which is what she yes. uh, right. tagged me in. So it's this. It's this cool circle, this inner circle, but it's <laughs> we're not actually getting anything officially confirmed. So where the hell did this even come from? Um, okay. So I saw it on. I actually saw it on Reddit. Um, and I and I was I drive Lyft, so. Uh, between rides, I have like a few spare seconds sometimes to you know to check, and I I um, popped in on the on the Reddit update. And I, all I saw was Brad is back or something like that, and I'm like, oh no way! And so I click the link, and it goes to IMDb, and I'm like, okay, I didn't read any of the content of what the guy said, you know, I just hit the link, and I'm like, okay, it's there. And there's the part of me that's kicking myself, going, why have I not been to IMDb prior to today to look and see who they had plugged in for the music? Okay, because I feel like if there had been like a nothing there and now it says Brad, I, I'd feel more confident with that. All right. It, right now, it's a dream come true if it's true. Okay. 
Um, it just it seems right, at least you know. And I, I don't know about about uh, the new Terminator Four and Five, you know, Terminator Seven and Eight. Um, <laughs> if if we even get those, uh, but for this third film, for for the sake of a trilogy, you know, it just seems like it's the right move. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, man. I mean, it's we're both on board. I mean, look, if you come across a Terminator fan and you say, "Hey, do you want Brad Fidel back?" and they go, "No." there's something wrong with them. So, <laughs> right, right, right. you know, I mean, this Absolutely. is obviously if you come across anybody who's like, ah, I don't know, Brad's a little old. He shouldn't be cut, slap him and be like, what are you talking about? Like, I know, right? it needs to come back because yeah. it, you know, it, it's what you said. It's pretend like there is no mention of what Hollywood always tries to do is like plan a trilogy. Just really focus on making this film the, the the true Terminator three, which is such a shame that they that they obviously can't call it Terminator three. It's such a shame, but right. um, you know, focus on that. And I mean, come on. I mean, you have the built-in triangle, which is something that I'm I'm very adamant about. Is you know, you don't need a lot of fan service in this next film. You have it built in. The fact that you right. have Linda, mm-hmm. James, and Arnold. That's your fan service right there. So yeah. Yeah. now if you take that triangle and turn it into a square, you got, I mean, that's, that's the ultimate right there. And then you make the film rated R and bam, that is the, and assuming they do it correctly, that yeah. is, it goes the Terminator, Terminator two judgment day and Terminator dark fate for all intents and purposes. Right. Um, yeah, that's what they need to do. So, you know, I don't know how reliable, reddit is or, or or any of these i don't know where people are you know pulling this from or if it's just like mm-hmm. i i think i saw a comment of someone saying that it's you know probably just a fan a like holder. yeah like an overeager fan just going okay well i gotta put this in here because it just works and yeah. Yeah. you know right but if brad fidel can't come back who do you put in his place mm. oh man that's that's a tough one see because I've I've kind of thought about it and I've gone back and forth and I think the person that I've landed on that I think you know has some of the similar attributes but isn't going to do a carbon copy mm-hmm. of of Fidel's two scores is um Cliff Martinez who uh has worked a lot with um Nicholas uh, Winding Refn who did Drive and Only God Forgives and and the neon demon and then he also works a lot with steven soderbergh who did uh solaris contagion um and i think uh you know a lot of his his work is somewhat reminiscent of what fidel was doing so so i think he could be a pretty good replacement so if i was in the position of hiring someone i'd be like what's cliff doing you know right right yeah I, i honestly i don't have a I don't have a plan B on that one. For me, it's for me, it's Brad or nothing, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's, I mean, there's there's obviously a lot of talent when it comes to scoring film out there. Um, I mean, for the, for the longest time when I was a kid, you know, John Williams had had the, you know, he had the floor for me. Anything John Williams, I was all about it, you know. Um, unfortunately, uh, James Horner. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I loved what he did with Avatar um, and Titanic and Titanic. Yeah, yeah, yeah man. He's, he's got he's got so many beautiful, uh, beautiful works going on out there, too. Um, 
and 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 uh aliens too right yes yes yeah. actually yes that was him um yeah that yeah oh man that was crazy like you know, uh, you know who might you know who might do uh, uh, uh do it justice um alan silvestri okay if i remember right did uh back to the future and the first two predator movies yeah um his his work pr- and, and on the first predator in particular there there are so many little nuances to what he did there that it's almost the you know kind of humming along with the music is almost as good as quoting the lines from the film you know what i mean oh, i mean yeah. there's just there's just some of those some of those moments and those um those little beats that he's got in there where you're just like yeah that it's it's almost uh uh ingrained in the dialogue you know so i think i think alan silvestri would be also a good choice yeah the oh man the oh yeah yes. man yeah 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 exactly but exactly. you know the thing is is like when you brought up um and i'm and i'm gonna focus more on williams but i you can almost throw silvestri in here with his later stuff especially back to the future it's uh-huh. <sighs> But then I guess you could argue with T2. It's it's almost like, especially Williams, he is almost, I would argue, you, a lot of the films that he's scored, you probably remember the score more than you remember the film. And, um, and I don't want that with, <laughs> with a Terminator, you know, I want it to almost be this equal thing. And yes, I feel like John Williams, you know, John Williams is so he's like larger than life, you know, like when you right. think composing and you bring up John Williams, you're like, fuck, it's like, yeah. like, you don't get any bigger than that. And I think he's so like hit, he, he just composes these big ass scores. And it's just, mm-hmm. I don't know if Terminator would benefit from that because I think he'd be, honestly the star of it and and at the end of the day when you don't have someone who's of equal measure in the director chair mm-hmm. you know i think it it, it almost kind of uh offsets it whereas if you have someone like spielberg in the chair it's like bam that's that is spielberg right. and williams and they know how to complement each other versus they do they do miller and williams it's like what the hell am i looking at here so <laughs> what am I looking at? yeah yeah so yeah, yeah. You need someone, and and the good thing about Brad Fidel is, you know, this would be, I mean, his triumphant return because he's been absent from film scoring since I think 1999. So, ah, oh, man, I I I I really hope that it is Brad, mm-hmm. and I wasn't actually thinking about it. You know, I kind of convinced myself he's not coming back. You know, it'd be great, right. but he ain't coming right. back. So now, who do we get? But after hearing this, I'm like, now it's like I can't turn the other way. Now it's like, please, please get Brad, please. You know, don't, <laughs> don't do this to me. You. Don't, don't, don't give us this false information, and then you know, turn out to be I don't know some some no name person. Um, so now I'm nervous. Now I'm nervous because everything I've been seeing for this new film has been really positive, and I've been mm-hmm. you know staying really positive for this film, and it's. And, you know, this is like yeah. another positive thing. So if it, you know, takes a 180 and becomes not positive, it's like, oh, man, no, there's the first, there's the first jab right there. Right, right. Absolutely. So 
talk to me like what is what is what is terminator 6 for you like like what is i know it's it, what would you do if if terminator 6 were up to you like me personally i'd keep it on and we can talk timelines and we can talk and mm-hmm. and you know what's really interesting is um i played back not like the whole thing but i just played back when i talked to william wisher i played back him and i or uh the discussion that him and I had of the time travel and mm-hmm. how what's so cool about all of this stuff is it's not, you know, explicitly explained. It's not, right. you know, here's how this works and that's all and you can't differ with it. It's right. it's really up to your imagination. So if you want to put all of this on a single timeline, if you want to put all of this on two, right. right. Or if you want to put it all on as William Wisher had it on, like, I think four or five different timelines, you, you right. know, you can do all that. It's great. Mm-hmm. The thing that has to remain there. And the thing that I grabbed from the Q and a with James Cameron and Tim Miller was uh, Tim Miller's uh, mention of the stakes and that, you know, yes. you know, just because it involves time travel, you, you know, it's easy to just be like, Oh, well you can just go back in time and fix it. It's just, right. you can't do right. that. You got to keep the stakes real and you got to keep it. Otherwise, why do we care? So, right, right, right. Where do you put Terminator Six if it were up to you? Well, okay. So, my my theory, first of all, with the time travel is it's just do it as a closed loop. Give us, give us, even if you do it in five parts, give us something that, that eventually closes that loop, and then once that's done, you can move beyond twenty twenty nine into whatever you want. All right. Skynet's defeat is maybe an apparent thing. It seems like they won, but maybe Skynet copied itself to some other site and laid low for 20 years. Yeah. Okay. Secretly developing tech in an underwater something. Hmm. Right. And then uh, starts unleashing things that mimic that, that mimic all forms of life and are slowly, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I really think that, that, like you said, it's a good idea to keep the stakes high. Oh yeah. What what I what I felt with the with the existing T three salvation and Genesis was, again they just they just kind of kept going. We've changed things. We've delayed things. We've put things off. We've whatever. And I I feel like the more that they do that, the further out they push it, and we're never going to get there. We're never going to get to the dark future. We're never going to get to the year of darkness twenty twenty nine. You know. I feel like no. We should just let's go ahead and have that. All right. Let's even if we get there in five parts or six parts or whatever, let's go ahead and get there. That doesn't mean it's predictable. If it's predictable, all that means is that we've got bad storytellers. <laughs> okay. If it's well, no, sorry, let me rephrase. If it's predictable and boring, then we've got bad storytellers. Predictable is fine. Predictable is fine. All right. Re- Rogue One tells us predictable is okay. But predictable and boring just means that the storytellers are not doing their job. All right, they're not being imaginative. So here's here's the way this thing plays out for me. Um, my theory is that August 29th, 1997 was a date that John Connor invented at the end, right as he's about to send everybody. Um, he's lived through, he, he remembers Uncle Bob and he's he's lived through whatever it is. And he's sitting there going, all right, Sarah told me all my life that it was August 29th, 1997 and we attacked Cyberdyne and it didn't happen on that day. And 
Kyle Reese and all of us know that Judgment Day actually happened on whatever date. 2014, 2019, 2021, 2028. Okay? Whatever that date is. If we go back, if I send them back, him and Uncle Bob, and tell her that actual date, what if we don't end up here? Okay, I don't know how time travel works. I don't know if this is the same time loop over and over again, or if we're going to get to a lower loop or a higher loop, if it's going to improve, like, you know, like they say in religions about karma, right? I don't know if there's some kind of karmic thing that's going to happen here. So I, I, I kind of feel like I'm obligated now to make Kyle and Uncle Bob corroborate each other's stories and tell her August 29th, 1987, because that's what her tape said, and that's what she said way back when, when I was a kid. She preached that date to me, and we stopped it. And then it happened later. You see what I'm saying? I feel, I feel like John is, is going to, assuming that the theories about them killing him off are wrong, and I hope they are, um, I feel like he's going to come to a pl- place where he says, I, I kind of have to play God right now so that things happen the way they did. You know, that's the thing, like I said, in the, in the T2 novel, um, it mentions in the, in the future sequence that, that uh, Kyle apparently in scenes not shown in the Terminator uh, would refer to the future as up then. You know? And so it always had this idea for me of something that is, despite the message, right? The future is not set. um, Despite the message that there were some things that were set in stone. And so to me, that's a very important thing. That's, that's one of the reasons that infiltrator looks the way it does. You know, there, there are certain things that you have to have. You've got to have the aerial HK that looks like James Cameron and, and, and uh, Stan Winston's designs, you know? Um, you've got to have the phased plasma rifle in the 40-watt range. You've got to have, I mean, if there's anything that happens during the day, it's like people getting slaughtered because they're dumb, you know? You stay down by day. You have to because the HK is used infrared, right? So for me, I, I want to see a a story that while it can go anywhere in the present day, cause I'm assuming that's what we got, you know, another time traveler, something like that. And it goes where it wants to in the present day. It still leaves the possibility of the 2029 that we keep seeing as on the horizon. Maybe. Right. Sarah Connor's knowledge of the future runs out when she attacks and destroys Cyberdyne. Because because she says, well, maybe we changed it. Now she doesn't know. Okay? If she'd sat by, if they'd just gone and hid down in Mexico or something and waited out the date and it happened, okay, then she's like, all right, we're in that, we're in that dark future that Kyle talked about and we have some knowledge now. But they don't know. They they assume that maybe they changed it maybe they delayed it they lived past that date so now it's like well that can happen any day i mean especially because look at the world around us ai is happening okay and it's not just one company it's dozens of companies that are doing it okay so maybe there's a cyberdyne maybe it's still in the running you know i mean it had a military contract right so what are we you know, how, how do you fight once you 
might have changed something. And did you change something or did you actually just play the part that was that was written in according to John Connor's memory in Up Then? Interesting. You know, our our lives. I, I, the thing that helps me out with this is our lives. I think of our lives as a book. Okay, if you think of a book, a book by the time you pick it off the shelf is written. There's not a word in that book that just pops up. It's in there. Okay, and you read each present word, and your memory constructs a sentence, and paragraphs and pages, and. Are there plot twists? Well, yes, because you've never read that page before. But not really because it's already in there. You're surprised because your expectations don't know which way to go. Right? But once you look back, you go, wow, that was a good story. I had no idea it was going to be going. It was a page turner. I, I, I was guessing the whole way. But the fact that there's a book and it's 428 pages means the story's already all there. It's our, it's our inability to see the future and to have to rely on memory and to be in the present moment that makes all of this a big guessing game. Okay? So I'm sitting here going, no, just go ahead and write the whole story and then let us, through Sarah's eyes or whoever's eyes, discover what that whole story is and what day judgment day actually happens and what the future war is like. And let us go ahead and walk through all that. Even if it is quote unquote, following a blueprint, the only way that it's going to be boring is if the storyteller sucks at being a storyteller. Okay. So it just needs to be a good storyteller is all it needs. That's all the Terminator needs is a compelling storyteller, you know? So, there's there's theories of course going out all over the place about well did they kill john you know i heard one the other day that was like well maybe maybe danny ramos is john like he got a sex change operation you know i'm like uh okay that would definitely be a, a plot twist um, <laughs> you know i've I, i've i've heard all kinds of uh, there's all kinds of things you know there's these, these pictures of a terminator having a beer i'm sitting there going well maybe or maybe it's just like they're filming an interview or a blooper reel or a you know i mean it's a photograph of people in costume and that the principal actors in costume and they're sitting in you know in a comfortable area yeah you know what is it maybe it's a dream sequence i don't know all right but to me i'm kind of going right the story though still somehow needs to center on Sarah Connor versus Skynet and it still needs to leave that future thing as a possibility even if the ending is kind of ambiguous okay um, so I'm thinking about the pieces that are in play and I don't I don't have a whole thing mapped out of course but to me I, I, the thing that I keep hearing is there's a second Terminator sent back to 19, uh, 1984 this this Terminator that, that Arnold's playing this time and he's an observer Okay, he's running in the background. So the way this works for me is Kyle says all the records were lost in the war. Skynet knew nothing about Sarah's mother, you know. So I think this if the, the story that works for me is this Terminator was sent back to gather information. And maybe it's even Skynet in a Terminator body. All right. Skynet itself downloaded itself into a body to see what it can learn about about us, what it can learn about Sarah, what it can learn about time travel, you know. So that when it's activated in the future, it can send itself back, you know, to, to, to the activation time 
and download all of this knowledge so now the records won't be lost. Okay, so then when it finally invents time travel, it can send back a Terminator that kills the first Sarah Connor the, the first time, the right Sarah Connor. That's the, way, that's the way it would work out for me in a way that I'm satisfied, is that, that this Terminator is, is sitting there, it's in a holding pattern, it's gathering information the whole time, and Sarah, being Sarah, is like, I've got to take out whatever I perceive to be the next biggest possible Skynet-ish type threat, right? And when she makes her move, she comes out of hiding and makes her move, this Terminator is like, oh, no, you don't. That is my mission objective. So it moves to intercept. And that's, that's where the crux of the, of the conflict is centered. And it gets Danny Ramos and her, her family and whoever else mixed up in the mess. Okay. John Connor, if, if the writers, I think, are, are as smart as, as I hope they are, are, they got Josh Friedman, who did work on Ter- uh, Sarah Connor Chronicles. Um, I'm hoping what they've basically done with him is said, John reached a point where he was like, it's just not safe for me anywhere. And he up and left. And he didn't leave a note. And he just, he just up and left. You know? And so Sarah says, I don't know where he is. Now, the great part about that is for people who are fans of the TV show, if we don't see John Connor in this movie, but we know he's still alive, maybe they're going to keep that as some kind of continuity that you can go back in and plug it in, you know, and we pick up with John in the next Terminator movie, you know, or the one after that, maybe we have two Terminator movies without John. And then all of a sudden he comes on the scene in the last one and you're like, Holy crap, (laughs) you know, and it fits together. These, these two, you know, the TV show and, and these films fit together. So you can kind of get some backstory and some things going on there. Eh, maybe. But yeah. There's yeah, dude. <laughs> just just uh just like us laying the stuff out, it goes, man, like this stuff is you can easily get this all convoluted and you can get this really m- mixed up and messed up and right. and and that's the that's the thing that is so tricky with something like this is because the fact that it's time travel based you know you you really do have people interpreting this a billion different ways so it's it's even harder to get everybody to to kind of come together and be like yeah that is something that we all agree on that they did correctly because i know that i trust me i know that terminator 3 has its fans i know salvation has its fans and it's like i look at it and i go how but it's because Largely, I think, because of the fact that we are dealing with what we're dealing with here. So people interpret it in different ways. Hopefully they realize that as well, because, um, yeah, and, and, you know, the fact that they had five writers in the writer's room. I mean, I know it's credited now to, I think, just uh, David S. Goyer, but uh, the fact that there were five writers, I don't know if that's good or bad, like beneficial or problematic. It's, um, I'm I'm leaning towards beneficial, you know, the fact that they had so many ideas and they had probably right. someone, you know, the third or fourth writer going, uh, uh, I don't know about that versus if you have right. just right. two writers and they're like throwing out ideas and the other person's like being nice and going, uh, yeah, but mm-hmm. I, I guess that's a good idea. Um, I think if I were writing this film, I would keep it in the present and I would not 
I would not have this film at all be time travel based. It would be a 100% in the moment uh, uh, story. So we have the the two previous films and now we're Mm -hmm. just following along and you can fill in whatever you want to fill in there. I haven't like dug that deep, but it's a present day Mm -hmm. story with no time travel whatsoever. And it's, and the, 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 the scary part is we're 10 years away from 2029. We're just a decade away. So like, like literally, and then also in the movie, if they place it in 2019. So, you know, you can play with that. You don't even, you really don't even need time travel. It's, it's all here now. It's, Mm -hmm. it's happening. So play with that, play with, you know, uh, 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 Gabriel Luna being just a present day Terminator that's created. He doesn't have to be something sent back in time. Right. Right. That's just how I would approach it because I think that's that's the way you. I think that's the way you have the most potential for getting as many fans on board, being like, "Wow, okay, so they didn't even do time travel. They, it was just right. a literal present day chase." And that's and because yeah. that's essentially what every Terminator film is. It's a chase. So, right. but yeah, uh, like another thing, and then um, we'll 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 play this out here. Your opinion on Arnold, mm. not as an actor, but as the actual character. The character. What is he? Okay. What is he? Well, okay. I, I I'm split on this because the the whole purpose of an infiltrator is that it infiltrates and the more you use the same face with the same people uh to 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 sneak past the the you know your your odds of success there diminish right so that some people i say they're like i have an issue with you know him being in the second film i'm like well you know again you you go with john going well that's what i remember so i have to pick this model you know and also, it's the face Sarah said she knew, the Model 101. So, uh, you know, it's the, it's the one that she's not going to have any questions about. I have to send a Model 101 because now she knows the instant she sees it, she's like, oh, I know what you are, right? If I send a Model 102 or a 303 or something like that, there may be like a – she may need the Miles Dyson treatment, you know, showing, you know, kind of thing. So – but then you get him back here for a, for a third film. It's, it's tough to be like he's back for – a fifth film for him, you know, but you get him back for the third, you know, the true sequel. And it's, it's like, it's good that he's aged. It's good that they're not, you know, bringing, bringing him back as the young, you know, T-800. Uh, although, you know, they've got Brett Azar as, as uh, a body double for, for a young T-800 that's going to make some kind of appearance. We assume it'll be an Uncle Bob you know, flashback scene or something. Um, but the more they stick with that model number, the harder it is for, you know, around the Connors at least, the harder it is for that thing to pass. Because every time, you know, every time Sarah sees somebody who looks remotely like him, she's like, uh, maybe, you know, do I have any, do I have any firearms? Do I have any heavy, heavy, heavy enough firepower to take this thing out if it turns out to be one? Right. Um, I'm glad they've got Gabriel Luna in there to to kind of balance that out. Hey, look, a new Terminator model, you know, um, even if it is a T-800 underneath, it would be kind of neat to see uh, him. And and if there's any other T-800 models 
or possibly even the character that Arnold plays um, interact in kind of a wireless strategic manner. You know, um, that was something that I tried to communicate a little bit in Infiltrator with, uh, with one of the Terminators turning and telling the other two to retreat, you know, um, it'd be neat to see them work as a tactical hive mind. Um, but I, you know, like I said, I am I am divided on the fact that it is the same face, even though he is aged appropriately, um, because it's just it's it's one more time for Sarah with that face. Um, I'm I'm curious how they're going to make that uh, how they're going to make that important, or how they're going to sell that as well. It just makes sense that Skynet would do that. You know what I mean? I heard James Cameron, you know, he, he at one point said, well, why does it have that face? You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And I don't, I don't, for me, it's not necessarily important. I just kind of figured, well, you know, Skynet ran a database and kind of came up with, you know, some faces that it wanted to put on Terminators. But for them to, to say, we're actually maybe possibly going to even address why it's this particular face on the model 101. Uh, I'm sitting here going, that's going to be, that's good. Oh God, I, I'm nervous about that. I, it's, it feels to me like it's going to be a very hard sell, you know? Yeah. Like I, I think, I think that if they're going to do that, I've always said that it needs to be Sergeant William Candy, but it, but don't do that. The voice. Don't do, right. don't do what they gave us. But if you're going to go that route, which I think they should. I think Arnold shouldn't like not be a Terminator, like a full-on Terminator that we think of him as. Um, I think he should be the human prototype. I think, you know, when I when I say fan service is bad, I think this is fan service that arguably a lot of people, myself included, I do kind of want to explore. I I, I want to know why, like why. I mean, it could be simple. It can, and just give me like a one piece of dialogue or give me a quick flashback or a flat, however you want to do it. But yeah. Yeah. Like, tell me why, like, why is it this Austrian big buff guy that you've chosen for this particular model, which is the face of this franchise that I love. So right. I think I, I, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Um, I kind of feel like it, if they can find some meaningful way to, to express that this individual was personally somehow personally relevant to Skynet. Okay. Like I'm sitting there thinking, okay, so is it like all these military guys are going, Hey, pull the plug. No, this is a bad project. And, and the Arnold character is, is someone who's going, guys, trust me on this. We've done our research. We've done this. And Skynet knows it's sitting there. It's sitting there observing and going, this one is my advocate. This one's my ally, you know, and so somehow it decides later on, it says, you know what, that's the face that I'm going to go send to slay my mortal enemy. I'm going to honor the one human being that's had my back. I don't know if that makes sense narratively to an audience. That's the only way that for me, I, I can go, well, yeah, and it does for me, that's that's the reason that doesn't feel cheesy, you know, is that Skynet. In all of its in all of its decision making, and said, you know what, this race is done. I'm pressing the button. I'm dropping the bombs. It still acknowledges that there was one that had its back, that was on its side. So I'm curious as to whether he's actually playing, um, 
a T eight hundred or or some kind of Terminator chassis, um, or if he's actually playing a human character. Despite what what uh, Mr. Cameron said in that brief that brief interview with the the Alita thing about oh he's a completely different you've never seen one like this before, you know it could have been I mean he's he's the creator of the whole thing he could totally it could totally be a joke for him, you know. Hey, you've never seen a Terminator like this. You've never seen a Terminator that's actually a human. <laughs> I got you. You know, I would, and and that that seems that seems intelligent enough. It seems smart enough. It seems like the kind of thing that, you know, um, in a way, I go, wow, it's 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 Jim. It's what it's what I expect because he's a very um, he's a very smart storyteller. You know. And he does, he's, he's from the first two films, he's kind of been pushing that line of man to machine. I don't remember somebody said that to me. I don't, I don't remember if it was you when we were chatting or, or somebody else, but they said, what if we, what if we've finally crossed over to a man who advocates the machine, you know? So I don't know. I don't know. It could go, it could go any number of ways, I'm sure. But uh, but that's the way that that makes that would make sense to me is that Skynet, despite its um, uh, this decision to start a war, um, kind of almost says, you know, I did have one human that was kind of like a friend. I like that angle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Something like that. You know, like that's that's something that is that that's easy to comprehend. That's that makes sense. And I think it, it, it overall pleases the mass fans that are, you know, really questioning why they, they, they landed on this. So I think an explanation like that um, definitely plays well. And I think that if, like you said, they write it well, they got, they got the confident, you know, people behind this script and, and they deliver on it, it's going to work. Plain and simple. Yeah. So, yeah, man. <sighs> You know, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. And uh, (laughs) really, it's going to be really it's going to boil down to it's fun speculating. It's fun um, theorizing and 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 coming up with what you would do or what I would do or what that person would do. I love doing that. And that's really what I've based, you know, a large port, um, a large part and portion of this podcast on is is really just, you know, what what do we want and 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 what is it going to be but we got to really get wait until we get closer and closer because then we're going to start seeing more and more and it's going to really that's going to be our like our real telltale sign of are we are we on a good path or are we on a bad path i mean because you can go back to the genesis trailer and Mm -hmm. just watch like just watching that trailer i knew we i watched that trailer and i was just like yeah this is oh man this is this is going to be a rough time. I can already tell, yeah. you know, so trailers do tell a lot and um, mm-hmm. we'll just have to wait and see. But uh, dude, I, 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 I swear we got to do this again because um, I, it, it's just been so much fun. And, uh, but I do got to get going here, but um, I've really appreciated having you on. And like I said, we're going to really definitely plan to do this very soon because there's just a lot more that I feel like we could talk about and, um, definitely and go from there. So, uh, thank you so much for coming on and everybody, like I said, check out infiltrator. I'm going to have the link in the description to this episode and, uh, support it, you know, however you can, and just 
by watching it, you're supporting it because you're, you're bumping up the views, share it around. If you're a Terminator fan, share this thing around and uh, show the support that it deserves. Um, thanks man for coming on. Yeah. I really appreciate Eddie, it. Thank you. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I've had fun. Let's do it again real soon. And guys, was that not an exciting packed kick-ass episode i think it was personally um again man thank you for coming on gershom uh i can't wait to talk to you again um it was so much fun seriously we like we just did not have enough time there's not enough time to pack all of this into one episode so this is going to be stretched across multiple episodes and we'll see what happens so thank you so much everybody for listening if you haven't already go check out the patreon there's uh new content constantly being put over there at patreon.com slash t101 podcast if you want to support the podcast give back um you can get access to exclusive content it's great stuff um and until i talk to you guys next time keep on terminating